Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic? Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore? This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm Rebecca Kinnestrand, Daniel Dadashi is here, and Pastor Katie Palamsakshi is here. Hello. And um, we are going to talk about sex Baby. today. <laughs> I can't help so, it. So we're not going to be dirty, and we're trying not to, but you know, just so you know, this is the topic. Um, I'm going to do some housekeeping first. We, If you want to donate to our podcast so we can upgrade our uh, voice equipment or whatever, go to Holy Spirit Lutheran Church. Um, Kirkland. HSLCKirkland.org. Hit the donate button, put a little note in there saying this is for the podcast. It will get to us. They're nice people. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of just to upgrade so we can get better sound for you. If you are listening to us via iTunes, you can like and subscribe to our podcast, which will um, make it so that you get all our awesome episodes. And you can also rate us if you rate us five stars. Woo. It helps us show up in people's searches. Yahoo. Okay, so housekeeping out of the way, let's talk about sex. Um, my question on this is, what the hell? I mean, <laughs> like, sex to me, you know, now uh, is more like this is something that almost everyone in the world does. And it's a, almost like a bodily function. You know, we teach, I train my kids about Body training, you know, mm-hmm. when I think that we should be teaching our children about sex. Um, but when it comes to religion... It feels like it's all tied up together a It's tied bit. up together. There's all this sexual repression. There's the naughty... You know, it's sinful. Mm-hmm. Blank, point blank, don't do it. And you know? this feels like one of those things that's not tied necessarily to Christianity. It feels like it's mm. tied to religion or faith in general. Not across... not. A, in every faith and religion, but in most faiths and religions that we think about, we also kind of equate them with sexual repression in some way. Right. And I get the fact that, okay, we didn't have good birth control for many, many centuries, okay, <laughs> most of human existence. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of this came out of the fact that you have sex, you have a baby, this is maybe not what you want. Um, yeah, rules <clears> regarding <throat> sex could keep, could keep people healthy, could keep people safe. It, right. Right. <clears throat> Sorry, I have some allergies. So I, you know, that aside, so I'm just putting it out there. Don't give us comments like, well, people have babies when they have, yeah, I get it. But what about the repression? So Pastor Katie, now, biblically, does this arise from biblical teaching? Or are we talking about just a culture that's interpreted it and thrown their stuff on top? Yeah, I think it's really, it is really tricky. One of my favorite, I'll say one of my favorite quotes about this, about this topic came from a sermon I heard several years ago by a guy from Texas and he was quoting this country singer whose name I can't remember. And I also can't remember to do the Texas slang, but you need it for this quote. And he said, he was talking about how, what, what do people think about Christians? And he said, so many of us think that, it, that we believe things like, like this guy said, when I was, when I was a kid, I was taught that sex is the most awful, dirty thing and you should save it for someone you love. Right. And does summarize the Christian at least Christian kind of contradiction in terms mm-hmm. of sexuality. Yeah. And you know, bibli- I mean, biblically, I think there isn't as m- much about 
sex as we think there is. Mm -hmm. I do a retreat with junior high kids every other year about relationships and dating. And we talk a little bit about sex and mm -hmm. sexual, human sexuality in general. Right. And I always ask them at one point to write down on a card, what do you think the Bible says about sex? Ooh. And it's anonymous. So you can put whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. So about a third of them put, I don't know, probably because they're, you know, 13 and they're embarrassed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what if I know yeah. their handwriting? Which I don't. <laughs> and the pastor's um, going to read I it. I know. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but a good half of them put, don't have sex till you're married. Yes. Oh, and, yes. And then a handful of other kids will put things like, I think it says being gay is a sin. Even though they've grown up, many of them in a church that specifically says, we don't believe that. Right. Yeah, but they just have heard that kind of yeah, water, it's in the ether. Right? Yeah. That's out there. I think this is one of the biggest topics where people think they know what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. They've been told, oh, the Bible says, don't have mm -hmm. sex when you're married. Right. That's kind of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so tracing, like, well, what does the Bible actually say is mm -hmm. tricky. And it starts out really good. Like, I mean, in the creation stories, you have people created for a relationship and they're told to be fruitful and multiply. And mm -hmm. presumably there's mm -hmm. one way that happens. <laughs> like, so, and there's no, there's no shame about it initially or any of that. The, mm -hmm. That second creation story where people are made before everything, you know, the one person's made and then God brings the person like, a platypus and says, is this your partner? And the <laughs> human's like, no, you know, and God brings a fox and like a duck and an elephant and the humans keep going, no, no. And then God makes another human and then that's kind of when gender comes into the story and mm -hmm. then you have the two of them for each other and everything is good. Shame comes into the story because right. of the... The snake leaf, the snake, the apple and the snake leaf, right. And so, so often we think, well, the Bible says that sex and sexuality is bad um, or shameful or sinful. You're supposed to cover that part. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. supposed to cover. But that's not the creation story. That's like the the brokenness part of the story. So I don't know that that's what God intends. I mean, I think that's the struggle. So explain that a little bit. What do you mean by that, the brokenness well, part of the story? Well, I think that for me, the creation stories were written not as a science story, but to try to, people are trying to understand, like, why are things, if I believe God is good, then why is life so crappy a lot of the time? Like, why is life hard? Why aren't people good to each other? Why are things painful? Suffering, why is yeah, suffering? Yeah. basically, yeah. And one way of explaining that is, well, something must have gotten into the works here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, something went wrong. And so the, the story of the serpent is one way of explaining that. Like, something entered that wasn't supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And messed it all up. Hmm. And that's where the shame, if there's any shame or, or pain in the story, that's where it enters. But it wasn't built that way, is mm -hmm. the point. Like God built it, created it for good. But people would say, all the way back to Adam and Eve, you know, that's going pretty far back. Right. Through the dawn of time, there's been shame, and you cover those parts. Right. Yes, and I mean, the story does talk about that. But again, that's not what God's original intention was. It was so. It was the Garden of Eden. Yeah, the things were good, and mm -hmm. humanity was good, and it's in relationships, and presumably, again, the being fruitful and multiply part mm -hmm. it was like you're supposed to do it, right? <laughs> yes, it was a good thing. Right. Uh huh. And we tend to go straight for the shame part of the story, but that's not actually. I mean, the Bible says that's not what it was. That's not what God intended. Mm -hmm. So why do we always go back to the part that wasn't intended and say that's how it's supposed to be? Right. That's how right. it ended up. That's not really what God... Well, it's very hard for me to, you know, as I learn more and more about theology and I, you know, think about what I 
have images in my head from the movies I've seen and, you know, the stories and you see people in long robes and the women, you know, it's very gender segregated and women are oppressed and yeah. it's a patri it's a heavy patriarchy and it's very hard to divorce myself from this image of the Old Testament and New Testament, to be honest, from the culture of that time to what's being said biblically. Yeah, for sure. And there's no question that in the cultures represented in the Bible and in lots of Western cultures since the Bible was put together, women have been associated with the body and the body has been sinful right. and the things associated with the body are sinful. So even by the time you get to Paul, parts of Paul in the New Testament, there's this, it's really a Greek idea. It's not like it has to be a Christian idea, but this idea of flesh is bad and spirit is good. Yes. Um, and women are usually the ones associated We're with the flesh. flesh right? <laughs> so like, because of childbirth and menstruation and, and sex. all sex yeah. and all uh -huh. the things that women are associated with, they are kind of bodily. And men are supposed to be more spiritual and, you know, able to be apart from the body somehow. Which is so funny because they're the ones mm -hmm. out killing each other, <laughs> spearing yeah. each separate, other. Separate bodily functions. You know, yeah. The, the, I wonder why one became bad and the other was just part of life. Yeah, part of yeah, life. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you, so, so you can going to war and murdering people and hacking off their limbs is not bodily, but yeah, right. birthing right. children is. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So there's, you know, I mean, we we asked this question. I remember a couple of episodes ago, like, is patriarchy so baked into Christianity that there's no getting away from it? Yes. And to some extent, I think yeah, because. Um, because religion exists in human culture. There's no such thing as a religion that's apart from culture. I think some people try to find that religion. Yeah, and I the think transcendental yeah. meditation, I'm throwing mm -hmm. that out. I don't really know anything about it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just thinking of some people are searching for kind of that that doesn't, it's apart from people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I understand the temptation of that, and I'm sure I fall into it myself too. But for me, Part of the beauty of Christianity is that Jesus came to be human, and that's really messy. And Jesus lived in a patriarchal culture, you know, I mean, there's no mm -hmm. question. But I don't know how to be human other than in right. the culture. Like, there's no, right. there is no, there is no magic apart. We have to figure out our way in the cultures we live in and in the world we live in. And so I can also see in the Bible ways in which women are are, are lifted up in surprising moments mm. or are given responsibility or or um, entrusted with news or have a role to play that's really special and unique and important. And mm. so there's a story about, I know we're getting a little far afield from actually talking go, about sex. Go, man, <laughs> um, go. We can come back. We'll come back around. Anyway, so there's a story of Jesus and his friends, Mary and Martha, his sisters, and um, this is in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus goes to their house for dinner. And Martha's like doing all the typical woman stuff. You know, she's setting the table and making the meal. And she's increasingly passive aggressively irritated at her sister. Which is a story I greatly, oh, yeah, yeah, greatly yeah. appreciate. Oh, yeah. I don't have a sister, but I feel like I could I could totally. Oh, it's, it's based in sister culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're and, not helping. And yeah, so she goes, Yeah, like Jesus, would you tell my sister Mary to like get up off the floor and help? 
Because Mary is doing the male thing of listening to Jesus teach. Mm. And Jesus says, Mary's chosen the better part. He doesn't denigrate what Martha's doing. He just says Mary has the right to do what she's doing. Well, we don't necessarily hear how radical that is. And right. how uplifting that is for Mary um, and for the implications for women. Yeah, that would be crazy sauce. Yeah. To be like, you're not yeah. in the kitchen helping and serving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're not even allowed to listen. Yeah. You know. So I think some of the moments of liberation and, and radical um, news word in the Bible, we don't hear them because in our culture, they don't sound as radical as they could. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, every culture also has weird stuff about sex. And I think our American culture has a peculiarly unique obsession with Purity. Is that because the Puritans? I think I blame the Puritans. <laughs> I blame them for a lot of stuff. No, the Puritans. Right. Well, where did that come from? Yeah. From there. Like, let's trace right. it back. Right. Yeah. There certainly is a, a strain of Christianity that has that. And there's stuff in the Bible about purity. There's no question, right? But you can take any one thing from the Bible and blow it into a huge piece mm -hmm. that maybe, you know, like take it way out of context or make it more than it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think. I think some of that Puritan stuff reflected the patriarchy of that time too, right? Like mm -hmm. women kind of controlling women, controlling their bodies. Like this is a time honored thing. Yes. Yeah. And so which comes first controlling women and therefore sex is bad or sex is bad. And therefore you control, I don't know. I mean, it's like right. a vicious cycle. Why can't and men control themselves? Yeah. That never <laughs> comes up, does it? They just can't. <laughs> not gonna happen though. boys will be boys <laughs> yeah they right? just yeah. can't control themselves well i think it's really i mean talk about denigrating men like to say you're not in control of yourself is pretty yeah. horrible to them actually and you know there's so we talk in our junior high retreat one of the stories we tell and talk about is david and Bathsheba, um where king david you know which is basically a story of sexual assault and david mm -hmm. just sees Bathsheba one day and she's often portrayed in art and stories and stuff as like a temptress. Oh know? yeah. Totally. That, which is just complete crap. Really? And so he, he just sees her and decides like, she's like a thing that he can take. And so he has sex with her and lo and behold, she gets pregnant. And so he gets, and her husband's off fighting a war. So there's nothing that says, whoops. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Six months pregnant. And my husband's been gone for a year. Right. Yeah. And so, David has her husband killed, basically, and thinks he can cover all of this up. And and this, the Bible really exposes his his sin, David's sin. Mm -hmm. And we use that story to talk about consent. Oh, yeah. And the importance of, of consent. And the, and the Bible does not let David get away with thinking that he's the king, so he can do whatever he wants. Interesting. Well, it's interesting that it's put in there, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Hearing you talk about a retreat where you talk about consent, I think might be surprising to some people because yeah. I think most people associate a church teaching about sex to a bunch of 13-year-olds. They assume the lesson would be abstinence. Abstinence. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's it's so tied up in that abstinence only, which I think is still a sex ed curriculum in a lot of states. I, when I went to school, I was in Washington State, and they brought in a special lady to talk to us about abstinence and had to sign little pieces of paper and everything mm -hmm. while our health teacher rolled her eyes in the corner. It was <laughs> Although like a cartoon. Although it's an option. Yeah, it's it an option. Come on now. It's, it's definitely an option. Here's the thing. 
I, I get nervous every time I do this retreat that yeah. I'm going to really anger some parent. And, mm. and I don't want to do that because I do think this is genuinely, fundamentally a conversation families should be having. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. I've been a pastor for 20 years this summer. Mm. Um, I've done a lot of weddings, probably like 60, 70 plus weddings. Two of those weddings were for people who were not already living together and clearly having sex, mm-hmm. right? And um, probably those two people, those two couples should have just gone ahead and had sex and then seen if they wanted to get married. Yeah, but, yeah. but I was too young to really realize that I should say that. Anyway. Some um, counseling for so you. So it is very clear that abstinence only is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Some people may choose it, and that's completely fine. Of course. But the vast majority of the time, that's not what people do. Mm-hmm. And yet, as a wider church, as the Christian mm-hmm. church, we have not offered much other than don't have sex till you're married. Mm-hmm. The end of the story. And my biggest worry is that leaves you with two options. One is you you do have sex before you're married, which the vast majority of Americans do, especially mm-hmm. because people don't get married till they're like 28, 29, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore you either think, well, the Bible has nothing to say to me now. That's all. I didn't do right. the thing. So now, now I might as well do it all. Right. right? Like now the bucket of badness. Right. Like, like, <laughs> so now it's irrelevant. The Bible's totally irrelevant to me because mm-hmm. I didn't obey the one thing it says about sex. Or I'm a bad person. Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm a bad person because I did this. And so you kind of carry on this like legacy of shame and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I just don't want to do, there has to be something more than that. Mm-hmm. And so we talk on the retreat, and again, they're young, so we don't have a lot of detailed discussions about sex, but we do say there are different Christian ways to approach sex and sexuality, and not having sex to be married is one of them, but it's not the only one. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I would be hard-pressed to, um, there's parent chaperones on this retreat, mm-hmm. I've never had one of them get mad at me. Most of them are like, Glad you're talking to my kid because I really don't want to. Um, and most of them will say, you know, I I lived with my spouse before we got married, and mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't really know what to tell my kids because that was you know like I didn't think yeah. it was bad, mm-hmm. but I I sort of feel like the church thinks it was bad, and so sort of like no. But why you know? do people feel? I mean, I know why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's just talk about in the water, in the air, whatever mm-hmm. from time. And I've even said when my kids were little, um, when you start talking about sex with them it's like what mommies and daddies do you mm-hmm. know but that also kind of feeds in that idea that you must be married first and so on and as they grow I want to be more like of course safety and mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know I want you to have a nice full experiential life how you want it mm-hmm. maybe that is just one person maybe it's whoever you right, know yeah. so um but I feel like I'm so hanging off the progressive limb you know I'm just <laughs> barely on the earth <laughs> you know, with that one and it's hard to know um yeah I guess we're not really looking for consensus here it's mm-hmm. more about where did this come from and why do people feel the need to that religion is divorced from sex and yeah how can we change it well and when did Christianity become so entwined in purity until marriage because if it's not, if that's not showing up in the Bible, at what point mm. did it show up and why is it so prominent? And why does it feel like it's so much more prominent in the United States than in the rest of the world? Well, I would say maybe there are many, many more repressive places. That's very true. That's very <laughs> not oh, the rest sure. of the world, sure. you know, maybe yeah. Northern Europe, you yeah. know, compared to Northern Europe. Yeah. But, um, and some of those are places that had a fair influence by Christian missionaries. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. some of those are still Christian, they're still related to Christianity. But there mm-hmm. certainly are other religious traditions that can be, maybe in different ways, very mm-hmm. repressive. Right. I think we got to stick to Western Civ or my yeah. mind's going to explode. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that question, Danielle, about like when exactly did yeah. this happen is a good question. And I don't really, I don't have a complete answer to that. I mean, I really think it is probably not fair to totally blame the Puritans, but I do think American <laughs> culture has that strain of, and you can see it in all kinds of places. Um, of, and I think it, it's woven into that that purity stuff, but it's also woven into our American, like you make your own life kind of myth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of your decisions have this moral and ethical weight. Um, and the mm-hmm. implication is if you mess up, then you've messed up your own life or, you know, and I think that rather than a, a more communal ethic where we're working together, I think, yeah, we live in a society. A, yeah, like yeah, there is a sort of sexual you. component to that too. That, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're on your own um, to make up your, make yourself pure or not. Um, there's, there's also the fact that it's usually on the woman. You're the mm-hmm. one to say no. You're the one to, you know, all this pressure is going to come at you. Here's how you say no mm-hmm. to that. You know, and it's just so intertwined with the feminism discussion because you look at our daughters or how you grew up and you're like, yeah, I was the one who was supposed to, I was like, I have, maybe that was where it came from too. It's like, nope, I'm not having sex till I'm married. It's like a block. It's like you're right. blocking all this mm-hmm. energy coming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of pressure on boys as well because the, the myth we're telling ourselves is two-sided yes. that, girls need to remain pure and and control themselves and that boys are constantly going to be trying to have sex right yes. that's the that's the narrative that's being spun and so it's also putting these this pressure on boys like you you should be attempt yeah I don't care if you're self-conscious about your body I don't care right. yeah or you anything. should be trying to have sex at every turn I can tell you personally I've had totally different experiences I mean I'm I don't think it's because I'm unattractive because I don't think that. <laughs> but I have had plenty of boyfriends, and I'll call them boys because it was a long time ago. <laughs> and, you know, no, they weren't wanting sex. You know, they weren't wanting, even in situations where it could be readily available, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that wasn't the relationship and it wasn't what they wanted and it wasn't what, it, you know. I did never have found that. Of course, I've found some men who are so obnoxious and all of that, and all the spam. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a total myth that boys are always constantly wanting sex. Work, working with teenage boys, I see just as many teenage boys who are self-conscious and uncomfortable in their own skin and uncomfortable being alone in a room with someone they barely know mm-hmm. as girls. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a real myth that all the boys are confident and constantly trying to have sex. Or wanting and we it. start mm-hmm. telling that narrative when they're little babies, right. when they're toddlers. Well, we're the girls about. are going to be all over, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to be a lady killer or whatever. Yeah, dad, dad's watching over me for little girls' onesies and little boys' oh, onesies God. are like stud Ooh, in the making. Yeah, yeah that's true. Ooh, and if, I don't know if you've ever talked to a 13 year old boy, most of them are so nervous <laughs> talking to any girl in any capacity. <laughs> and I think you're right. I mean, it, those and those myths do harm on both sides is really the point. Mm-hmm. It's harmful to boys mm-hmm. and it's harmful to girls. And it mm-hmm. sets up, again, it sets up a really negative experience for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. Like you're oh. against each other. There's a great yeah. TED talk out there that I've used with parents about how sex needs a new metaphor. Um, and the guy talks about our, well, a lot of our sex metaphors have to do with games like baseball, like get on base, mm-hmm. um, hit a home run. You know, like did you get to mm-hmm. second base? Did you get? Th- and and the, and the implication is that we're kind of score goal. Yeah, did you score right? Yeah. Exactly. We're kind of pitted against each other, and mm-hmm. one just trying to fend the other off. You know, like and his metaphor is pizza, mm-hmm. and like. Some people like this on their pizza, and other people like. And in order to decide what's on your pizza, you have to talk to people. Mm-hmm. You can't do you do just like pepperoni. Like, yeah, you have or to. Shall we throw in some mushrooms? Yeah, <laughs> there you I'm, go. I'm vastly I like oversimplifying it, but it really is. It's hilarious. Yeah. And also really thought provoking. You realize how many of the stories we tell about mm-hmm. sex are really harmful. We don't even realize it yes yeah that's why it's sort of baked in the culture that's why it's like oh i've heard like your survey of your kids i've heard no sex before marriage tell us about you were talking before we started recording about this book yeah there's a book a new book out by pastor nadia boltzweber who's an elca lutheran like me um and uh she's written several books and her newest one's called shameless and it's about sexuality in the bible and I will say there's a little, le- I wish she had done a little more with like where the specific passages that people mm, think about, mm-hmm. but it is a great book. And at the end, she really talks about like, well, what makes a good sexual ethic? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't go to one verse in the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says. That's mm-hmm. not a thing that works. It never is. And it's not on this topic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, if we read the whole thing and we're looking at it in context and all that, like what are the things that make for a healthy sexual ethic that we can teach our kids and that we can kind of relearn ourselves? And of course now I can't remember the five or six things that she comes up with, <laughs> but you know, they're like respect and um, trust and all kinds of things mm. that, I, that I realized when I read the book, well, I actually know all that. I just didn't think of it as enough. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I've, I want to have like some biblical armor to take into the discussion. And if someone gets mad at me that I'm, you know, teaching their kids, um, that it might not be the worst sin in the world to have sex before you're married. Mm. Um, I want to be able to point to like, but look what Paul says. Ha-ha. Yeah. You know, like, uh, okay, that's not how this works. Pastor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, um, you can't really do that. But on the other hand, you know, why do I think there's going to be some magic bullet verse? There never is for anything. Right. So if you're reading this whole thing and we're thinking about also how much we have learned as human beings about sex and gender and orientation and a spectrum of sexuality, not just like straight and gay or male and female, you know, like think about how much we learned even in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible doesn't know that stuff. So we have to doesn't know (laughs) so we have to put those things together and and i think i think that's what the bible being a living thing means you know the the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom not the end of it like i mean we're supposed to use our brains and then you know figure things out and continue to reevaluate what did you just say the fear of the lord is what well it's in proverbs i think the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom it's like one of the first problems. Oh, so we should fear the Lord. Well, mm-hmm. that's another problem. Mm-hmm. But it's like awe. It's not like be terrified. Uh, it's awe. like the awe. Being in awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, and so often I think people use the Bible to say that's the end of it. Like that's right. the last word on the topic, the end. Uh-huh. And I think thinking of it as a beginning of things is much better. 
Yeah, you know, I got into, um, (laughs) at Crossways, we had a conversation. I don't know what was coming up about it. This is a biblical class that I was taking, and um, they, we got on the topic of, did, was Jesus married? Oh, yeah. Right? Because in the Jewish culture at the time, he probably, you know, like that would have been, would have been very normal, and why would he, well, maybe not, but anyway, it was this whole thing, and it kind of got me all angry about why is there so much emphasis on like, you know, if he was with a woman, right? Right. Oh my God. No, he can't possibly have been with a woman because then how could he have been mm-hmm. holy right, and pure, you know? And so it was all wrapped up into this, like if he, because naturally it wasn't like with a woman by his side, it was like mm-hmm. they were having sex. Right. Yeah. And what if the Lord Jesus Christ had sex? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Well, and that, I mean, there's all that, even, even the idea that Jesus was, you know, it's so clear in the story that Jesus is conceived without sex. Mm-hmm. Like right. that's a part of the story. Well, is and that true? Now I've heard there's translation issues there. There are translation issues. My, my point isn't that that's what the Bible says, but that's what Christian culture has become. Like, so right. not only in some, in some strains of Christianity, not only is Jesus, uh, is Mary a virgin, Right. But her mother was a virgin. What? Because, like, at some point, where does right. it start? No. Right. So, um, <laughs> and then it gets kind of... And I think the virgin birth is probably one of the first things that gets ditched when people are rethinking. You're either going to be in it and believe right. that, or you're going to be right. like, I'm pulling away, and that's one of the first things to go. Sure. Um, but, yes, I mean, a virgin birth, because God forbid. Right. The imp- Part of the implication there is because sexuality is dirty and we're trying to keep Jesus kind of out of that. Clean. So he was not conceived by the dirty right. deed and right. he never did the dirty deed, right? And so it become it's right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But all of that is really in question because it's very possible that he had. And never yeah. it wasn't well, written down. It just, it just doesn't say. It, it just, just doesn't, doesn't say. say, right. And um, it would be yeah. Well, and there's yeah. other you know, there's other people in the story like Mary Magdalene, right? And she in in no um, biblical literature or other literature does it say that she was a prostitute? But that tra- that tradition arose. Oh, Mary Magdalene was an unclean woman. Right. Well, I was there. There was zero indication of that. Really. So I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, why do we turn many of the women in the stories? They must be prostitutes. Into yeah, <laughs> into or in again into somehow more fleshy and less. Spirit. spiritual as if those two things first of all are even separate at all right and as if one is bad and one is good right. um it, i mean it's a really it's a complicated because if jesus topic. had had sex he wouldn't be pure he would he would have yeah it would have it been is a funny dirty, too, it would have yeah. sinned right. or, or something yeah it's funny to i think sometimes people you, know, you just don't think about that stuff maybe because no one has ever talked about it. And then right. I wouldn't be surprised if someone listening to this podcast is all of a sudden like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the idea. I mean, I think I feel of myself as a very progressive person, but Jesus cannot have had sex. sex. Right. <laughs> so like, That's not there's, right. There's sort of tr- things for us that sort of, we don't really, we won't even realize we have these biases or these totally these kind of blind spots, these taboos mm-hmm. um, until someone says something and you realize like, Oh wait, what? You know? Yeah. Um, Cause this stuff runs really under the surface and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get at. And yet it, it really impacts the way we treat each other and 
it's kind of like culture when you look back 50 years ago in Mad Men and everything they did then was very, very normal. It was just the way it was. And even, I'm not even going to talk about like the way they smoked or they polluted the environment or the treated women, all of that. Like, and that was not so long ago. I mean, yeah. That was not so long ago, but we look back, you know, 40, 50 years, 30 years, 20 years, even people now start talking about, well, in the 90s, and I was like, the 90s to me was yesterday, <laughs> right. you know, that was, years ago. I know, but it, it feels like yesterday to me, that's when I was partying and doing my, and, you know, now it's considered, oh, that was old school thinking, and how quickly we change we do. the thoughts around the culture, and that that undercurrent changes so one of the places I think people should look up in the Bible if they're not familiar with it, and it is kind of an unsung book in lots of ways, um, is the Song of Solomon. Does mm. we know about the Song of Solomon? No. It's a very sexy book. <laughs> um, it is like the most erotic book in the Bible. Love um, It's a love poem. <laughs> yep. And it's, it is about, and to some extent, it's about, um, hu- it's just about human love. Now, people will also say, oh, it's a metaphor the love between God and humanity. And I mean, that's maybe true too, mm-hmm. but I, it's also just a beautiful poem about human love. And it just, it just talks about like the beauty of women's bodies and all kinds of, and um, interestingly, wow. very few people ever read this book or know about no. it. Um, and it's like a lot of things in the Bible, there's contradictions in it. So, you know, for all the places where the Bible might say that um, problematic things about women or sexuality or bodies, there are also these other places where you're like, wow, that is impressive <laughs> you know so um i just and it's like i don't know eight or nine how long is it let's look and see i think it's eight chapters yeah it's not that long hmm. so um but it's in there oh yeah somebody put there. it in there it's in there and staying in there it was and, seemingly important yeah and i so again you know what does the bible say about sex well it's complicated <laughs> um and at least this is one of the places where i think it says something really powerful and beautiful about human flesh, you know? Mm. And again, I think we're, when we talk about what the Bible says about sex, we're often also talking about what does the Bible say about bodies. Bodies. Human bodies. And then consequently also women. Yes. yes. And gender mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. yeah. So it gets really, all of a sudden, boom, this, this topic gets a lot more wide ranging, but sex is super personal. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think often gets associated with shame. Shame. And Mm -hmm. it's a lot like money in our culture where Mm. we sort of talk about it all the time and we use it as a tool to sell stuff and, Mm. and, Mm -hmm. but we don't actually talk about our personal experiences with it. There is a lot lot of shame. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of shame when you do that. So you want to look like you have money, but there's a lot of shame if you often, if you, you wouldn't ask somebody so how much do you make you know like that's not like right at least i should say in my super waspy <laughs> that i grew up in um you don't ask people that question right. i realize i'm speaking from a very specific corner of the world there right but i right. do think there's some there's some similarities with sex like it, it's everywhere all the time but we don't really talk about it mm. in, an, in its actual messy human form right only girlfriends do that. Only, only friends. And only over drinks, right. I think. Right. <laughs> and I also think, and I mean, this is a topic for another day, but I, I also think that the introduction of like the internet and constant visual and then, and then the reality of access to porn yes. is a huge 
game changer. Yes. And it's one of the reasons why, in spite of the fact that I'll be frank, I am not super comfortable talking about sex with junior high kids either. I just mm-hmm. fake it. Mm-hmm. But then I like later go lay down like, oh my God, I'm terrible. <laughs> but, you know, but I can't believe I'm doing this. But we have got to say something to them because yes. there has to be a healthy, faithful way to have this conversation or we are leaving them with nothing. Nothing yeah. but and the we porn. Can, nothing but the porn. And we cannot yeah. do that because I don't want them to, I don't want them to feel like they are wrong or bad. I don't want them to feel like they're out here with mm-hmm. nothing helping them. And porn in general looks and feels wrong and bad in that, yeah. like, you know, if that's your introduction to something, it's yeah. so, it's totally fake, number one. Right. It's and, not real. And it, it is their introduction to it. often These is. These kids are, they're watching porn at 11, 12. It's very common. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, curiosity. Curiosity. And then I've seen kids who tell me they can't stop watching porn. Mm-hmm. It becomes a bit of an addiction. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it impacts relationships of all kinds. And right. it impacts when you're that young, it's going to impact the way you see your body and other people's bodies. Mm-hmm. And, and they need to know all it's kinds of stuff. fake. It's like a movie. And I like to, when my kids were younger, they didn't quite understand what was on TV wasn't real. And I showed them YouTube videos of the making of movies so they could see the cameras mm-hmm. and the sets and the green screen. And I'm like, and then all that's painted in, in the back and all yeah. of that. And so now they can understand it's not real. And so hopefully as they, you know, move into this or they see porn, they can be like, that's not real. And you Mm -hmm. know how, and they airbrush everything out and that relationship isn't real. Yeah. There are people watching them with cameras and robes and, you know, all all of that. Like it's not an actual thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But the act itself, I mean, of course it's like. People are going to be curious. Yeah, and that's not that's not sad. That's not right. bad at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think many of us who, who would say, call ourselves more progressive Christians, we we roll our eyes at a lot of the stuff we don't like, like the purity culture or the abstinence yes. only or mm-hmm. what whatever else. But we haven't been able to provide much content. Like we mm-hmm. know we don't think. I think but that's really interesting. We're like. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's right. easy to throw stones. It's a lot yeah. harder to come up with a different it's plan. It's very, very right. complicated. And so, and that's really what I think. I mean, I think that's a place where the church ought to be really trying to, to do something here is like, no, we do have things. We do have some treasures in this old set of books that we think are still meaningful. And, mm-hmm. and we have our, you know, learning about what we've learned in science and we have, are you know wise people and and we can get together and say something that's meaningful without being shaming or um, exclusionary and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I just we get, we just haven't really we haven't done that. I really like that. I like the fact that you know because it is we had been talking about the daddy daughter dances, the purity ring ceremony, which I didn't that. even know what a purity ring was. I was like, it's an actual ring. <laughs> It is indeed. The The Jonas Brothers used to wear them. Oh, right. No wonder I missed it. (laughs) Disney stars would wear them. It was a whole, it was, it was uh, popular for a while. It was like stylish. I won't have sex till I'm married kind of thing. Well, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. allegedly. Yeah. Um, But I can understand that people are like, well, what's your, 
what how else yeah. you know what do we do that so if not that if not that what? then what and yeah. we don't have a good answer <laughs> for that and i think that parents so. are really winging it i have some parents who are you know on that end of the spectrum and i have some others who are like i gave vibrators to my 16 year old girls because i want them to understand their sexuality and have healthy mm-hmm. sex life you know and, and know how to pleasure themselves and i'm like Okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Where yeah. am I on this spectrum? Right? Yeah. So, give us your comments and thoughts on this topic, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.